Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, where we are going at Fontes to the fountain to be nourished and supplied by all that God is, as he has revealed himself to us. We are continuing our study, going verse by verse through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes is a book with highs and lows. It is one of those books where sometimes we're com- we come away with something that leaves us feeling great. It's very encouraging, and sometimes... He's telling us we're idiots, and today is one of the second category. We're talking about the the folly and insufficiency of wisdom. And so we will be covering verses 21 through 25. And like I said, this is not exactly the most encouraging bit at face value, but as we dig into what this means and how this fits within the bigger scope of the redemptive arc of scripture, I think we will come away with something very nourishing to our souls. And so without further ado, let us read verses 21 through 25. And it says, Don't pay attention to everything people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For in your heart you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. I have tested all this by wisdom, I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? I turned my thoughts to know, explore, and examine wisdom and an explanation for things, and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. So, we have another piercing diagnosis from Solomon. And it's important to note that Solomon is not excluded from the contents of this book. It says, don't pay attention to everything people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For in your heart you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. It's that age-old adage of when you point your finger, there are three pointing back at you. Similar concepts that when you the way you are to people, chances are people have been towards you. And so Solomon's lumping himself in because, hey, I'm, I'm a person too. The sins I, I observe in other people undoubtedly exist in me, in some form or fashion. So Solomon does not exclude himself from this diagnosis, nor should we exclude ourselves from the diagnosis in these um, verses. 
this is a passage that indicts all of us, similar to how Romans 1 um, lists all of these sins of which all of us are um, included in some way. So Solomon does so in fewer words, in fewer lines, that, hey, we're all in the same boat here. As I've been to others, chances are they have been to me. So we're, we're coming into a passage that is very all-inclusive in that sense, specifically talking about depravity and insufficiency. But moving on to verse 23, I have tested all this by wisdom. I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can understand it? I turn my thoughts to know, explore, and examine. What wisdom? And an explanation for things. And to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. The challenge of wisdom is that it was beyond him. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. The, uh, the Septuagint rendering of this phrase, of this passage here, uses the word Sophia, which we, we know for wisdom. That's where philosophy comes from. But in the Hebrew, the word for wisdom is Hakma. There's probably a little more in there than I can muster. <clears throat> but uh, the idea of the Hebrew word for wisdom is there's a certain skill. It pertains to intellectual skill. And it often is likened to elements of combat or battle or war. In the same way that one is skilled in combat, one is skilled in wisdom. And the problem with wisdom is that it is beyond Solomon. That this book about wisdom says, it is beyond me. There is a profound weight in that realization. That wisdom is beyond me. And it takes us, honestly, it takes us back to the garden. When we go back to Genesis chapter 2. All the way back to the beginning. As we've seen with much of Ecclesiastes, it's constantly tying us back to the first couple of chapters of Genesis. We're, we are frequently being pointed to look at the, er, the origins and to consider different elements of this account. So Genesis chapter 2, as soon as I find it. <clears throat> when not, they're in the garden. And so God puts man in the garden. He puts Ha'adam, the one from the dirt, in the garden to, to work it and to keep it. And then he creates for him a woman, a companion, someone to be by his side. And they, they go in the garden. They go off on their, their task. And it says that God took the man to place him in the garden to work it and to watch over it. It said, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From the day you eat from it, as the Hebrew says, dyingly you will die. That there is a quantified um, description there. It's not just you will die, but dyingly you will die. It is... That sounds weird to us, but that's adding that intensifier there. Then the Lord God said that it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And so he makes 
Eve, as she is later called, and they they are basically a husband and wife. This is the first marriage recorded in scripture. And we come and so we've got this good picture here. Things are good. We've got defined roles, we've got defined purposes for the animals and for people. We have we have a good thing going. Genesis three. Now the serpent was the most cunning of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Which, first of all, that is a misrepresentation of what was said. <laughs> because the beginning of the command was, You are free to eat. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it. Which is also not accurate. Or you will die. And the serpent says, no, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing both good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. And that it was desirable for obtaining, what? Wisdom. Hakma. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. <clears throat> then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were wicked. They were naked, I'm sorry. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And if we jump down to verse 22, the Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Everything that the serpent said, you will become like God, knowing both good and evil, that happened. That was accurate. Because God himself said they had become like us, knowing both good and evil. And so it seemed that they had acquired wisdom. But... They, but the cost of trying to find wisdom brought sin into the world and death through sin. And so while they had attempted to obtain wisdom, their eyes became veiled by sin. And they could not look upon good and evil as God does. But what they saw was tainted by sin. Romans 1, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. I Meaning that's how they know what it is, because God has shown things. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So God has revealed um, through nature all the things necessary to know he exists. He goes on to say, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Okay, so we look at the fruit of God's labors creating the world, and we do not recognize that they are of God. And what happens, they became futile. Their, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, flat-footed animals, and reptiles. So we've got this, this dichotomy here. 
shown through Genesis and Romans. That while Adam and Eve thought they were obtaining wisdom, their pursuit of wisdom ended up leaving them more in the dark than they ever could have been, than they had ever imagined. And so what is the, the remedy for that? <clears throat> what is the, the issue here? Because even Solomon said, I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. That this thing called wisdom seems out of reach. And he says, who can discover it? Which is not unlike Jeremiah 17, which would come later. The heart is deceitful and full of wickedness. Who can understand it? And so the, this issue with us pursuing wisdom by other means, be it the tree of life or um, libraries or whatever, the pursuit of wisdom is faulty because God is wisdom. This, this thing of wisdom is beyond us. It reaches beyond what we are capable of because God is wisdom. Acts chapter 17 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we, lo we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since then, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. And so one of the things about wisdom, when we pursue wisdom apart from God, is that it strives to take what God is, goodness, beauty, truth and tries to grab it by the by the scruff of its neck and bring it down to our level but the true pursuit of god is rooted in the reality that we're not the same that god is higher god is always higher he will always be higher this is one of the reasons that the the old medieval churches were so big and so beautiful and so massive because there is this idea of threshold, that we are crossing this boundary from the profane world into the sacred. This is where we meet with God. But God was not the building. The building was really just a corruptible shadow of his glory. It was to point us to something greater than a building or a painting. Hebrews 1 says that the sun... Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the ex exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So then, wisdom can only be rightly defined in light of God as he has revealed himself to us, to man. God has made a covenant with man, and how we relate to this God of covenant flows from such an arrangement. John Calvin explains in this way, Nearly all the wisdom we possess, 
that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one proceeds and brings forth, the other is not easy to, dis to discern. In the first place, no one can look upon himself without immediately turning his thoughts to the contemplation of God, in whom he lives and moves, Acts 17.28. For quite clearly, the mighty gifts with which we are endowed are hardly from ourselves. Indeed, our very being is nothing but subsistence in the one true God. Solomon found wisdom to be out of reach because God is the author of wisdom. It flows from him. And to truly pursue wisdom is to recognize our connection to God. We are made in his image. We bear his image, which means we are forever tied to this God, the author of wisdom. And if wisdom is a good thing, if this truly is a good thing, it will exist perfectly in the nature of God. But this also illuminates a problem. Back to Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over and desirous of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded amongst themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. And then he closes Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages, but is now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God, to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. In our sinful foolishness, we are not truly wise. Our wisdom is folly, as it says. I turn my thoughts to know, explore, and examine wisdom and an explanation for things, and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That is where we live. In our sinful foolishness, we are not wise. We are fools. But God is wise. And he has made himself known to us through Christ. John chapter 1. Opens with, in the beginning was the Lagos. Now, where logos uh, usually translates as word, but it carries with it this idea of divine reason. It, it goes back to Plato, but what we've got is we've got something that is logical, but we also have something that is divine. That we have something beautiful here. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. That whatever this word is, whatever this divine reason thing is, it was with God, and it says, and the word was God. And that is, that is a, a sentence that is not contested among, uh, very contested among translators of Greek. It is very linguistically simple. 
in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created. Um, the Greek word is egeneto, which means brought into being. Through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him, if you notice, we've gone from the word to him. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Others say grasp or contemplate. They cannot grab a hold of this thing, this, this light in the darkness. The darkness cannot comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So now we've gone to calling it the light, but we still have an identity. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not recognize him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word, we're back to this word logos. The logos became flesh and dwelt among us. Other translations could run under that word dwell as tabernacle, going back to the book of Leviticus with this tangible reminder of God's presence with his covenant people. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and by him and through him all things were made. This is Jesus Christ who came into the world to redeem that which was broken by a sinful pursuit of wisdom that turned into folly. By a rejection of the immortal God and the rightful praise thereof, we were condemned in our sin. And Christ came down. He took on flesh, it says. That he lived as one of us. But he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. That he was truly wise in ways that we can't be. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law doth he meditate day and night. 
and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that beareth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither whatsoever he doeth shall prosper the wicked you and i are not so but are like the chaff that the wind driveth away therefore the, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knoweth the way of the ungodly the way of the righteous the lord knoweth the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish this psalm draws two distinct pictures on the one hand it shows the way of righteousness in comparison with the way of sin showcasing its consequences in the world to come through means of poetic devices but on the other hand it also points us to the messiah who was to come that would fulfill this psalm christ dwelled and delighted in the law of god more than any man could and it was it is when we look to christ his person and work and his otherworldliness that we too can delight in that law of God. For in it we find the Christ who has purchased our redemption according to his wisdom and righteousness rather than our own. Let's go to Ephesians as we draw to a close. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. What? In Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, and to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one that what Christ did for us brings us back to Romans 1 they traded the the worship of the Im, immortal God for things resembling mortal man but we go back to the praise of his name to his glorious grace that he lavished on us in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in christ the mystery of his will is revealed to us in christ god is fully revealed to us through the person and work of jesus christ who came down died on a cross suffered for your sins and for mine rose triumphantly from the dead three days later and now sitteth at the right hand of god the father almighty making intercession on behalf of all who would believe he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth, in him. In him we also have received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. 
so that we had so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory in him you also were sealed with the promised holy spirit when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and when you believe the holy spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory Despite our sinful folly, despite the fact that we have gone down the road of, as Solomon calls it, stupidity. For wisdom is beyond us. It's very deep. But God, in his wisdom, has provided a way by which we can be saved from that folly, from our sin. And so Christ died for you, for your sins. in order to reconcile you to the God who created you. You created me. And so as we close, I implore you to run to Christ, to seek refuge in the person and work of Christ. You cannot trust in the wisdom of yourself or other people. But God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. It says in Proverbs that the Lord is a strong tower, that we can, that a man runs to him and is saved. And in closing, ponder these words from Isaac Watts. Raise your triumphant songs to an immortal tune. Let the wide earth resound the deeds celestial grace has done. Sing how eternal love its chief beloved chose, and bid him raise our wretched race from their abyss of woes. His hand of thunder bears, nor terror close his brow. No bolts to drive our guilty souls to fiercer flames below. Twas mercy filled the throne, and wrath stood silent by, when Christ was sent with pardons down to rebels doomed to die. Now, sinners, dry your tears. Let hopeless sorrow cease. Bow to the scepter of his love and take the offered peace. Lord, we obey thy call. We lay in humble claim to the salvation thou hast brought and love and praise thy name. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.